welcome. Uh, like Matt said, my name is David, and uh, it is good to be here. Uh, I've always t- had people tell me they look up to me, but this is a little bit new. This is a little bit more than, than normal, so this is great. I'm glad you're all here. It feels weird to be this high, but uh, it's going to be great. So uh, let's pray, and then we will uh, jump into the Word uh, today. Uh, Father, we uh, come to you on this beautiful uh, sunny day, and we just thank you uh, for your creation. Uh, We thank you uh, for the wonders of all the things that have been made, Uh, the trees, the rivers, the plants, the grass. Uh, We thank you, uh, Lord, for your creation of people, for creation of us, of friends, of family, of people that we know. Uh, Lord, and we praise you too uh, for the new creation that you have done in us who are in Christ. And we pray as we study that uh, today and all that you have done in us, I pray you would work uh, in us and through us that we might live more in line with how you have made us to be. Thank you for all the grace you've given us. Uh, Help us now as we uh, hear, help me as I proclaim to be clear. Uh, And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Gregory Rasputin may be a name uh, that you might be familiar with. Uh, maybe because, like me, you had uh, you studied Russian history in uh, high school. Uh, maybe because you just know the song by Bonnie M. Uh, however you know the name Rasputin, uh, he is kind of an infamous, infamous name. Uh, he was a, a self-proclaimed Russian monk at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, he came to exert real uh, influence on the royal family of Tsar Nicholas II, who was kind of the last Tsar before uh, the communist Russian revolution. Uh, and uh, he was there and he had kind of some interesting uh, theology, uh, to say the least. Uh, he believed and taught to his followers uh, that if you, uh, y- you could experience salvation, experience spiritual kind of high by, by sin and then repentance. And, and he followed, God is a forgiving God. Uh, so therefore, the more that I sin, then the greater the joy is going to be in my forgiveness. Then, then the, the greater the, 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 the feeling that I get of God's forgiveness. So therefore, it is a believer's duty to sin as much and as greatly as possible. And that's what he lived and that's what he taught his followers to do. Sin as much as you can and then just say sorry for it. And, and I know that there's some that maybe you've kind of, you're new to Christianity or you've, you've thought about this before that, you know what, if God, if the gospel is what Christians say, that is that we are not saved by God by anything that we do, Uh, We are saved only on the basis of what Jesus has done by our trust in him. God doesn't accept us into heaven because of our works or our church attendance or anything like that, but just because of what Jesus has done, just our trust in him, then why why don't we just sin? Why can't we just do that? Because we know God is forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Why why not just sin? Uh, Because I, I don't think it's just Rasputin that falls into this kind of thinking. Uh, even us who are Christians, I think there's probably times that we can think of where we have justified sin in our life because we know in our minds, it's okay, God will forgive me for this. Right? Like it might have just been a simple little uh, lie that we told, that we knew, I know this is wrong, but I just, we need this to go well or we need this to happen. And so, okay, I'm just going to tell this lie, but I know God will forgive me later. It's okay. Or maybe, or maybe it's, it's the coveting of something or it's just a lustful second glance where we say, I really want to look and I know it's okay. I'm just going to do it because I know God will forgive me in the end. See, see, we too, like Rasputin, can actually fall into that same pattern. You know what? We know God is a forgiving God, so why not continue to sin? We know our conscience tells us it's wrong, but we still do it anyways. 
And what we're going to see in our passage today is we're going to look at Paul's, uh, the apostles' teaching in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it. Romans 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have it on your, your phone, you can just look on that lyric sheet we, we gave you on the back side. The scripture is all there. Uh, some of the other scripture we'll look through as well. And what we're going to see Paul teach us in this section is, is people that say, okay, let's just continue to sin because God forgives, uh, that they have not misunderstood what the gospel is. They, ha- they haven't misunderstood what the gospel is. The gospel is that you are saved totally by God's grace, not a result of anything that you have actually done. He forgives you no matter your sin. He, they, they have not understood what the, misunderstood what the gospel is. They have misunderstood what the gospel does. Not misunderstood what it is, but misunderstood what the gospel does. That the gospel, God's grace, actually changes people. It actually makes us different. And so we've been looking in our series of what does it mean for us to be alive and kind of wrap up that series today. That's what we want to look at specifically. We as people who are alive in Christ, what does that actually look like in our life? Uh, So uh, look with me, Romans uh, chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. We're going to break our our time down into two points. Uh, The first thing that we are going to see Paul uh, say to us is that we are dead in sin and alive to God. We are dead in sin, or dead to sin, sorry, dead to sin and alive to God. Uh, And so Paul takes up this argument that we've been talking about, the Rasputin type of way of thinking in verse 1, just as to voice the objection that people might have to Christianity. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we keep sinning because God's grace abounds? It'd be great. Doesn't it give God more glory? Paul's answer in verse 2, by no means. The strongest negation you can have in the Greek language. Uh, The King James translation uh, says, God forbid. Like, no, not at all. No way, is Paul's response. He says, how, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? We we are dead to sin. And so Paul says, if, if you think that because God has saved you, and he's going to forgive you that you, you can actually live in sin, then you don't understand who you are. You don't understand that you've died to sin. There's an inconsistency in who you are and how you live. And he gives baptism, actually, as the example of this. If we continue verse 3. Uh, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so if you're here last week, you you saw Esther Van Roy, she was baptized. In her testimony, she quoted this verse. And she talked too in her testimony about the change that Jesus has made in her life. Uh, Baptism is a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's point here is is that when we go under the water in baptism... It is showing the death that Jesus died, a death that we have died to sin. And when raised out out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Christ. Christ being raised from the dead was the same, but new. He was a new person. And so too, we who have died to sin, we we come out different. Not that baptism itself does anything, but it it symbolizes, it points to what Christ has done in us. But if we continue reading verse 5, we see that that Christ's death and resurrection, uh, they aren't just a picture. They aren't just an image of what has been done in our heart, if we're a Christian. But they're actually its cause. 
Uh, look at look at verse five. For if we have been united with him at Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, meaning died with Christ, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Uh, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why? For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so what's Paul's point? What's his main emphasis here? I hope hope you see the, the emphasis on our union with Christ. You've been united with him in a death like his, united in a resurrection. There's all the language of uh, in Christ, with Christ. See, union with Christ, the fact that we as believers, by faith, have been married to Christ. We've been united to him in a a union in in such a way that that what is his is now ours. His death and resurrection actually have an effect on our life and on our heart. That union with Christ, Paul says, it's, it's the hinge upon which the door to true life opens. If you have not union with Christ, you cannot be alive. But if you do have it, Paul says, then then you do have true life. And and he points to the fact that that those who are in Christ are free from the power of sin. We're free from the the slavery to sin. Look again at verse 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, so what's, what's the purpose of all that? so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So so the point he's making is that now, in Christ, we actually have the ability to say no to sin. Right? We've been talking about what it means to be alive, and you remember back to Ephesians 2, a couple weeks back, it talks about we were dead in our sin and trespasses. We were slaves of sin. We, we could not actually not sin in anything we do. It doesn't mean we don't do good deeds. If you're not a Christian here, it doesn't mean that just because you're not a Christian doesn't mean you do, don't do good things. But what the, the prophet Isaiah talks about, he says, all of our righteous deeds, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Because ultimately, even the good things we do, apart from Christ, we do for our own glory. We do not do for the glory of God, for the love of God. And in that, it is sin. So, what, what Jesus has done by his new nature is he's actually given us the ability to say no to sin. Be- because the thing about sin and being in sin, dead in our sins and our trespasses, is not just that we are unable to not sin. The thing is we, we love it. We are like a prisoner chained to a wall and we, we hug the chain. We, we love the chain that holds us to the wall. We are like a disease-ridden patient who thinks that the, the symptoms of their death are actually signs of their health. But Paul said, no, in Christ, you're free from sin. You're free from sin's authority, and you've started to see sin as sin really is. The spell of, of sin's beauty has been broken for those who are in Christ. 
It's like in Beauty and the Beast. If you guys watch at the end, you know, the, the beast, he changes into this beautiful, handsome prince. Uh, with sin, it, it's like the opposite. Sin at le- first looks like this handsome prince. But being in Christ, we actually see sin for what it is. It's, it's a terrible beast. See, see the, the power of sin over us, the beauty, its charm, its allure, it doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Sin doesn't smell quite as sweet. See, our eyes have been opened not to the, just the fact that we are, are, are prisoners, just to the fact that we are chained. Right? We, we've been unchained, but now we see the dungeon that we're in. And if we're truly in Christ, we're going to want to walk out of it. We're going to want to be made alive in Christ. We're going to want to pursue holiness because we see sin for sin. And so Paul says we need to consider ourselves as we are. That's verse 11. Look again at that. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider ourselves as we actually are. Why, why does he say consider? Consider yourselves. I think, I think he says it because often we don't consider ourselves dead to sin. Though we've been made alive, this marvelous thing has happened to us, to those who are in Christ. We've been made alive by God. Our, our desires have been changed. Our heart has been changed. Yet we live like we're dead. We live like we're still in, in slavery. It, it's like the, the Israelites. You know, God, uh, they, they're in Egypt. Slaves, a cruel, awful slavery. Forced labor. God brings them out by his power, miraculously brings them out, out of Egypt, out of slavery, into this, this new freedom. And what do they do as soon as they're out? Can we go back? Like they want to go back to the slavery. They say, ah, life was actually so much better when we were slave. I think that's the temptation for some of us as Christians too. We were slaves to sin. But God has made us alive. He's freed us from the slavery to sin. But yet there are times where we look back and we say, ah, I, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to Egypt. But if we're truly alive, we should live like we're alive, not live like we're dead. If if Lazarus was raised up out of the tomb by Jesus, walks out of the tomb, comes out into the bright sunny air, he's been made alive. And then he says, Jesus, actually, this is great, but it's just too sunny out here. Can I go back inside the tomb? Can I lie down again? Can you wrap me up? It was just, it was way better in there. We think that's weird. Really, if you've been made alive, you should not live like a dead person. You should not want to go back to the tomb from which you came out of. So too, those who are in Christ should want to live like they are actually alive. 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17. It's on your your, uh, page there. You'll see it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old, the new has come. Here's the thing. Even if we don't live like we're alive, we are. That's a wonderful thing. By God's grace, he has made us alive. We are a new creation. It's a statement of fact of what is true about us. Just as sure as Christ's resurrection is, is the surety, the, the promise that we are actually, if in Christ, alive. I know that there, there are some times where we don't feel like we're alive. I, I mean, I'm sure there are some of you here where though you, you would say, I am in Christ, but it doesn't feel like I have life in me right now. Uh, like we, we feel like we're, we're struggling in, in sin, like we're, we're just he- hitting our head against a brick wall. We feel like we're not making any headway. But, but we can run back to this promise that we have actually been freed from Egypt. 
We have actually been set free from our slavery. We've been brought out of the tomb. If we are in Christ, we are alive. It may be that the furnace is not burning hot yet, but we can have confidence that the furnace has been ignited. Right? Just like a few minutes ago here, the sun was not shining, but it was behind a cloud. It was there. And in time, by God's grace, it will shine through. If we're in Christ. So let's not live, you know, if, if we are a king, if we have all this, this great inheritance, we are king in Christ, let us not live like we're a beggar. Let's not live like we're dead. Because Jesus' change is not just a change in our status. Not just a change, in, it, it is that. We have been declared righteous by God. But it's not just that. It is also a change, not in our status only, but in our nature, in who we actually are in our desires, in our heart. We've been given a new heart that Ezekiel says will cause you to walk in God's ways, cause you to obey his laws. And even when we don't feel like we are alive, we can trust the life that's within us. Right? Life has great power. You, you think about uh, an old uh, building, maybe cement, brick, whatever it is, that old building uh, seemed to stand strong. But if you leave it there for 20 years, 50 years, what happens? Grass, moss, roots of a tree, they begin to, to crumble this building. You put an acorn underneath a tombstone, wait a couple years and a tree will break through this solid cement. See, life has great power. And so too, if, if you're in Christ, there is real life within you. Life that we can draw upon and trust that will actually be working in our life. This doesn't mean that, that, that we don't ever sin. It doesn't mean that we are perfect in any way. Uh, John Wesley maybe said it best. Uh, he said, uh, you know, sin still remains, but it does not reign. Sin still remains, but it does not reign. It, it has no authority to make you obey its passions. Jesus reigns. Jesus is our, our new Lord. He is our new master. He is the one who we look to for instruction. So that's Paul's point. That's the first point. That we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And Paul's second point is live like it. Live like it. So we are dead to sin, alive to God. Second point, live like it. Because Paul is not just saying this is just not a mental exercise that we do. This is not just something we do theologically where we think of ourselves. No, this should involve all of our life. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but... Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul's point here is if sin does not have any authority over you, if that's been broken, if you've been set free from the reign of sin, then don't let sin reign. If you're not under its authority, don't go under its authority. If, if a king has been taken off the throne, you don't go and obey his edicts. 
If the CEO has been fired from the company, you don't let the CEO back into your boardroom. See, sin is not a rightful heir to the throne. If we're in Christ, sin does not have authority over us, but it will try and usurp the throne however it can. It will try and, as Paul says, make you obey its passions. It's, it's like your old boss, after you've left your old job, he's still emailing you, asking you to do stuff for his company, get, get, you know, get some work done here or there, and you'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Right? Like, like if, if a country, to someone who, who's not, no longer a citizen of their country, they've given up their citizenship, they don't live in the country, if that country came to them and said, hey, we need you to pay taxes, you'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. You, you, you don't reign over me. You have no authority over me anymore. And so Paul says, don't let sin reign. If you are alive in Christ, don't let it reign. Don't pay taxes to sin. Don't, make it, don't let it make you obey its passions and desires. But the question then is why? Why do we still let sin reign in our life? If it, if it truly has been dethroned, why do we let it reign? Well, there, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is that sin may reign in our life. Sin may have authority in our life because we are actually still under its dominion. We may not actually be free of sin's reign. We may not actually be alive in Christ. The sign of someone who's alive in Christ is that they don't want to continue in sin. That they want to be set free. They see the dungeon that they are in. But sin may reign because you not, may not be alive in Christ. Uh, look at how John puts it in his uh, letter, 1 John. Uh, that it's on your uh, page there. Uh, it says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, meaning, meaning a habit of it, a habitual sin in which you're unrepentant. If you're born of God, if you are truly alive, that will not be you. But some of us, we, 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 are, we are not alive. We're, we're, we're like a, a spiritually dead plant. That yet, you know what? From, from a distance, we kind of fit in with the Sunday morning crowd. But when, when you get closer and really start to inspect it, you see the leaves are just made of paper. And it's all dead. It's all dried out. We need Christ's life in us. And so if that's you, I would just encourage you, spend time in prayer. Go to God. Ask him for mercy. Ask him that he would make you alive. He has to do that work. Ask that God would make you alive in him. But the other reason we might still let sin reign is that we may just be in the habit of sin. What I mean by that is sin is a habit of our heart. And, and, and that sin, sin's grooves, it's, it's a trail that has been well run in our heart over and over and over again. And it is hard to sometimes get out of those grooves, out of that path, to walk in the newness of life. Sometimes that's difficult. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who uh, was a preacher uh, in London in the mid-20th century, uh, he gave an illustration to explain this. I think it's helpful. 
he said, imagine uh, that there is a country, and in this country, uh, there's two groups of people. And for hundreds of years, one group of people has enslaved the other. Generation after generation, uh, this, this group has been enslaved. It's all they've known. And, and, and there's a law in the country that, that those who are slave owners can uh, beat, whip uh, their slaves whenever they want. It's not, it's not illegal. And so the, the slaves themselves have a great fear whenever they see that master coming. And they automatically just obey out of fear. They, they do not want to be whipped. They do not want to be hurt. But one day, a good king comes along. And the good king comes and he proclaims freedom for all the slaves. Legally, slaves declared free on that day. But is that all it takes? Is the slave's behavior going to change overnight? Perhaps. By God's grace, sometimes that does happen in our life. But often what happens is is the slave, whenever he sees his master coming, that fear of his master still exists. That, that internal desire, that habit of his heart to simply obey his master's wishes, to bring him his cup of coffee whenever he needs, it's there. It's just ingrained in him and who he is. And so to some of us, we have habits of sin that are ingrained in us. And, and the, the way we break free is we remember we are not actually a slave. We do not actually have to obey this master anymore. We've been made a slave of someone new, a slave of Christ. And we obey him. But sometimes we forget who we are. And we live like we are still a slave of sin. So if we look at verse uh, 13, 13 and 14, Paul gives us some practical help here of how we can actually uh, live this way to set ourselves free from the reign of sin. Uh, He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So he says, you're going to fight back not only by remembering who you are and the fact that you're not a slave anymore, but you're going to fight by practically presenting yourself to a new master. The, the image is of uh, reporting to a different commanding officer for duty. You've been transferred to another unit to another officer, to another general, to someone who you report to. You present yourself, not to sin, but you present yourself unto God. So where where are the situations that we can think of where we can actually present ourselves, not to sin, but to God? Are there things that we can think of uh, in our home, uh, maybe uh, uh, with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, where we know, no, I, I know that God can use me here if I present myself and am available for him to use me. And on the flip side, are there situations we know where, man, if we go into that situation, if we spend time with those people, we know that that is an opportunity for sin. And by being there, by doing that, we are, we are presenting ourselves to sin. What are the temptations? Where are the, the places where sin is, is trying to get a hold of you and make you obey its passions? Do we present ourselves to sin or present ourselves to God? I, I mean, just think about this even for your own uh, holiness. R- right? are, you, are you in the patterns that, that God usually, normally uses to, to, to create holiness in his people? Are, are, are you here on a Sunday morning? 
Are you, are you reading the word? Are you in prayer? Are you in community with other Christians? Uh, n- n- not just you're, you're here on a Sunday, but like, do you know other Christians who are speaking into your life, who are able to speak truth into your life and you into theirs, who know you and know your sin, who you're confessing to? Like, are we presenting ourselves to God to be, to be used for righteousness? Paul uses the, the language of instruments. It, it's kind of like uh, we, we are a trumpet. And, and, this, and we can choose how, who we want to play us. We can choose that we can have a grade six boy who's just learning trumpet in his band class. He can play us. That'd be great, right? Or we can be played by a master musician. Are we going to be played by sin? Are we going to be an instrument of sin or an instrument of God? He he can make a wonderful sound with our life if we let him. If we present ourselves to him to be his instrument, to be used for him and his glory, we will see him work. So let me just ask you, who are you presenting yourselves to? To sin? Presenting ourselves to God. Who, who reigns in our life? Who's the authority that we listen to? Paul gives us one last encouragement in verse 14. Look there again. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Not under law, but under grace, meaning uh, not part of the old covenant, but under the new, the new covenant of grace. And here's the wonderful thing. He says, sin will have no dominion over you. It's a promise. If you are in Christ, sin will not reign. It will not have dominion. Why? Because of the cross of Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2.24 on your sheet there. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Die on the cross. For what purpose? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Uh, Let us never forget that the cross of Christ saves us from the wrath of God. It saves us from the penalty of sin. But let us not know that that is the only thing that the cross does. See, the cross of Jesus also saves us from the power of sin. It actually saves us to be able to live a new life for him. To use theological language, the cross is not just the basis for our justification, our being declared righteous, but it is also the basis, the cause for our sanctification. On the cross, Jesus purchased for us a new heart by which we can actually live a new life for him. It's his power, his spirit that he has given us, working within us to be able to obey his laws, obey his rules. So let us expect God to work in our life. If we are alive, if God's spirit is in us, let us present ourselves to God expecting that he will actually work. He will actually change us. He will actually make us more and more alive. So to sum up Paul's argument here, this is what he's saying. Live like you're alive. You are alive. If you are in Christ, you are alive Live like it. Right? Don't act like you're dead. If you, if you have died to sin, don't continue to live in it. 
Live like you're alive. And, and enjoy being alive. Know the goodness that comes from being alive. I know that sometimes we can think life would be better if we just stayed in sin. Sin seems better. But for those who are alive, we are going to see clearly sin for sin. And we're going to see the beauty and the enjoyment that comes from actually walking in holiness. From walking with God. It is, it is like a, a bunch of boys running down uh, to the river for a bath on a chilly morning's day. The first boy comes up to the river and he kind of dips his toe in a little bit. Well, it's chilly, he says. The second one comes up to the river. He comes up to his ankles, but that's as far as he goes. It feels too cold for him to jump in. The third boy, he knows the river. He's been here before. He takes a step back and he runs as fast as he can and jumps head first into the river. Once inside, he is all aglow with joy because once you're inside, it feels warm. It feels great. It feels wonderful. But see, some of us, we, we are standing in the, the chilly air of sin still and we have but dipped a toe in righteousness in what it means for us to actually be alive. Maybe we've gone up to our ankles but have we actually jumped headfirst into what it means for us to be alive? We are. But the question is, do we live like it? Do we live like people who are alive? We're dead to sin. How can you have died to sin and still live in it? Go, Jesus says, live like you're alive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the new life that you have put inside of us. By your grace and by your spirit, you've done this. It's not anything we have done. But thank you that it causes us to change, to be different. And I pray that we would actually walk in that newness of life, like a, a new path that you have paved before us. Would we, we see the goodness of that path and would we walk down it by your spirit? Help us, please. Help us to present ourselves to you to be used for righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.